now here we go. Hello and welcome to Parents Just Don't Understand. I'm your co-host Kurt Schiller. Tonight we're going to be chipping some glasses, cracking some plates, and digging into one of the biggest works of children's literature, certainly one of the most widespread culturally impactful, J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, both the original 1939 story and the 1977 animated edition by Rankin Bass, and really a, a proto-Studio Ghibli production almost. And uh, tonight we're joined by friend of the show and fellow parent, Chris Woodward. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Kurt, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for for, for coming on. Um, it, it has been uh, it has been a long term goal of mine to get you on the show. Um, and you know, you, uh, always always uh, super exciting to get more more parents on the show. Um, and so, you know, it, it goes without saying, thank you for sacrificing um, some of your your few hours of, of sanity uh, to, to come on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's it, yeah, it, it takes that you have certain you have a short amount of time to spend for yourself. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to get, spend it with you. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, I, I greatly appreciate it. So uh, we always like to start by asking people kind of what what their first uh, encounter with the media in question is. And, you know, I, I mean, this is this is The Hobbit. I think at this point, everyone is pretty familiar with what the basic story of it is. So I'm not I'm not going to, you know, run through a, a beat by beat um, plot summary of it. I'll, I'll just kind of say, um, you know, it was originally published in 1939 by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, who was a a don at at Oxford? Uh, he was a uh, linguist and philologist, um, and was was trying to kind of create a a modern uh, retelling of of a fantasy of like a, a fantasy story slash fairy tale, um, kind of mashed up with like uh, I guess nineteenth century children's adventure stories. So um, just to kind of kick things off, Chris, what what was your first encounter uh, with The Hobbit or with with Tolkien in general? It was definitely uh, in elementary school. Uh, I remember getting the mass market paperback with the black cover, with the kind of photorealistic painting. Uh, I had like the the archway, uh, and uh, it's just it's distinct in my memory because uh, on the cover there, Bilbo uh, looked like uh, Ricky Gervais in a curly wig uh, with <laughs> Gollum hanging over his back. Um, but I, I remember, you know, and this was probably fifth or sixth grade. Uh, and I was kind of always trying reading books, maybe a little bit more advanced. And I, I remember trying to r read it and get into it. But um, at, at the time, I found it just a little bit out of my depth. Uh, and so it took me a little bit to revisit it. it and honestly, it wasn't until um, the Peter Jackson movies came around that I really went back and uh, finally do uh, dove into it. Uh, and that would have been around, I think, around 2000 or so when, when those movies came out or first started coming out. Uh, so I, I would have been a little bit older, uh, probably like 13 or 14, um, mm -hmm. but they really spoke to me, especially in that uh, time of my life, because, uh, you know, 14 is when you're really starting to, you know, branch out into the world a little bit. Um, I, and uh, so, yeah, it, they, they really um, just they really just meant a whole ton to me at that time. How did so? So I guess someone who who engaged with Tolkien more with some of his like older older literature or you know literature that was targeted more at at an, an older audience first. It sounds like like how 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 did you what was your take on 
on on the hobbit when you kind of came back to it after coming back in th- through lord of the rings you know I, I, coming back to it i was like well what, my first thought was i'm not sure exactly sure why i thought this was so hard because it is written in a easier style than the lord of the rings because i i find lord of the rings a little bit denser a little bit harder to get through um now than compared to the, the hobbit which you know you could uh, you know easily get get through as, as a younger younger person um and, and but i feel like um you get much more of a sense of it being a straight ahead adventure story um it hints at the wider world out there but it's much more this is bilbo's tale you're following along with him where the lord of the rings you're like you know this is a giant world i'm seeing just a, a tiny sliver of it um i know it's out there but um the hobbit you kind of feel like you're getting a whole story there yeah and it's 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 interesting if you look at the way that you know the 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 fact that it is a small sliver of of the larger you know lord of the rings setting is very much like the result of back revisions by by tolkien um is my understanding where like the his his original intent was just to kind of make like a standalone boxed off story that had like a little self-contained setting the 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 original when the book first came out it was it was pitched as basically taking place in an in an ancient time um somewhere between whenever fairy tales are set and like the middle ages so it was kind of in like a timeless but definitely in our past setting um and it was not intended originally to be part of this like larger mythic universe and they actually went back um after the lord of the rings novels started coming out they reissued the hobbit with like additional lord of the rings tie-in material like specifically i i think they added a bunch of stuff where um gandalf is mentioning like the necromancer hinting at like oh this is this is clearly going to be important later on this is this evil wizard guy who like who could he be um and i, I think the the description of the magic ring which you know, if if you're reading it, having read Lord of the Rings, it's obviously the One Ring. Like, oh, okay, this is like where this is like like a prequel. It's almost like like a prologue, and then the events of Lord of the Rings come back to it. Um, when when it first came out, it was literally just like a magic ring, like just like some random magic ring that just happened to be under a mountain. Um, and it wasn't really anything important at all. It was just like part of Bilbo's story. It was it was just Bilbo's story. It wasn't the story of a larger world. So it's 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 interesting to kind of revisit it in in that context. I think it's kind of the the first retcon in uh... yeah. <laughs> so so I I um, first encountered the Hobbit uh, from my my father. I have very clear memories of my father reading it to me when I was probably like five or six, um, maybe a little bit older than that. But I, I definitely was like right on the edge of being old enough to start reading stuff for myself. Um, and so, you know, it was like a bedtime story for me and we read it like a couple pages at a time. And and um, it's it's funny to me thinking back um, because like I'm I'm literally right now reading The Hobbit um, to our older daughter who is four. And like, there's definitely parts that I'm, I'm not like, I'm not like, uh, skipping over stuff, but there's, there's occasionally a sentence where I'm like, she's not going to understand the structure of this sentence. So I'll kind of just like chop out the middle of the sentence to make it a little bit more obvious. Like Bilbo did this and, and kind of cut out some of that, like long meandering, you know, like, uh, like 
received pronunciation fancy english that like tolkien you know is, is so charming of, of tolkien but can make it hard for a four-year-old to follow like what the sentence is doing mm-hmm. um and so it's it's interesting to me to think back to like when, when my father was reading it to me and wonder like how much he was you know adding or or removing but i it's another thing sort of like i i feel like i have always known what the hobbit is um and then when i was a little bit older we started watching the 1977 cartoon um and that made such an enormous impression on me that like it became like one of those things where like when i was playing make-believe as like a six or seven year old like i was pretending to be bilbo or pretending to be you know the dwarves or gandalf and like i had a friend who lived near me and we would go off like into the woods in our development and like pretend to be on some kind of you know tolkien adventure like oh this is an orc and you know it would be a tree and we would have like magic staves that we hit the orc with it was like hitting a tree with sticks you know um and i I remember being taken by like the sense of strangeness of it like like it's it's very it's one of those things where um it's funny to compare it to like stereotypical fantasy now because it has a lot of those elements so you know like it has dragons it has elves it has dwarves it has magic stuff um you know there's like like prophecy wizards and stuff um but it is slightly weird too like it's slightly it's slightly off-putting at, at the same time I, I i would say yeah for sure i, I mean it's, it's particularly when you think that tolkien's usually usually considered the the you know the the font of modern day fantasy or, or the typical fantasy setting that you would think about like D and things of those uh, in that area, so I, to have those latter day versions not quite ca- catch the you know exact weirdness or, or or strangeness that Tolkien was able able to include in there uh, is somewhat disappointing because it, it is reading The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. There's you know such there's areas of just strange, just like you know I, I, things that you just make you go like I, I'm not sure exactly what he's going for here, but there, it's it's certainly you know intriguing me, but I, you know it's it's not something you would encounter in a normal fantasy book, like one of those like you know the the the, the bricks that you find in the back of the border yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it's it's it is. I I specifically wrote down that it's funny to compare it to like a Dragonlance novel, um, because like there's tons of uh, modern fantasy tends to have tons of of explanation to go out of its way to build a setting and build its own mythology like very self-consciously and the the hobbit and i I think this is what makes it really like like to to be clear i think that the hobbit is really excellent children's literature i i know that people tend to kind of just like up like upgrade it into being like oh no it's not it's not like children's literature it's just literature that children might might also like to me it's written with like it's written in such a way that it specifically connects with children. And one of those things is it doesn't like explain stuff. It's like, well, here's trolls. And it doesn't, it doesn't say like, Oh, you know, trolls are this in this setting. Like it's, it's a troll. It's the idea of a troll that you would get from like having been familiar with like, you know, the three Billy Groats gruff. It's a troll. It's a big thing. It's kind of evil. It's threatening. It lives under a bridge turns to stone when the sun comes up that's that's what you need to know about you know trolls in the hobbit or like elves they're mysterious they live in the woods they have pointy ears that's it you don't need to know like you, the tolkien went on to create a whole backstory to it but 
Um, you, you don't need to know that. And the, the, the Hobbit in particular does not like try to explain this stuff to you. It just kind of functions like a fairy tale, basically, albeit one that, you know, yeah, inspired this entire subsequent genre. Well, and I think that makes it work even better as thinking of it as children's literature, because, you know, kids go out into the world and, you know, they're not going to know the the behind, you know, why certain things are there. They just know, you know, something's out there and they're going to see it and, you know, experience it. Uh, They don't know. uh, So like, Coming, so Bilbo going through this world and suddenly, you know, suddenly there's a troll and it resolves itself. Uh, that's kind of how a lot of the kids experience the world as well. Right. Yeah. Like ki- kids, kids don't understand that that troll is a category of fictional character that has, you know, uh, it, it derived from this and now it's been interpreted as this. Um, yeah. It's just like they kind of have this vague idea of what a thing is. And if you say the word they, they kind of just match it up with what their understanding is. And yeah, I, I think that that is a big part of what, what works r- really well uh, about the Hobbit. Um, the, the other thing that I'll, I'll mention about my own personal experience with it is I'm like, I, as I've gotten older, I've realized how much um, my, my own mom, it was like a proto nerd. Um, like, like she was very into sci-fi and fantasy and that kind of like hippie generation way where it wasn't, it wasn't like, Oh, I'm a sci-fi and fantasy fan. Like Tolkien in general was very popular with like that particular, you know, group of people that you might broadly call like hippies in, you know, the mid to late sixties, early seventies. Like it was just like, he was just a a popular author with them. Um, And like the idea of what a nerd was didn't really exist yet. But I I know that. So my, my edition that I had growing up was like the sixties era with like the white covers that still had kind of like the interesting, like Tolkien, like watercolors on them. Mm. Um, and, and so there were just kind of like old musty books that were around my house. And I, I think for me as a kid, it almost lent the books themselves like an, an air of mystery. Cause they were like old dusty books that didn't have dust jackets anymore. They just said like the Silmarillion. And I was like, well, what's this? And you open it up and it's like discovering like a secret history or like a magic, like the book itself was almost magical for me. And so I, 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 I think that that has kind of colored my view um, of, of these stories. Uh, like as I've grown up as well, but um, I, I, talking a little bit more about like how it functions as children's literature, it's it's really interesting to me to compare it to like this the kind of stereotypical young adult or like children's book that you would get now, um, and I, I think I think aspects of it are very similar. Like it is written in a very straightforward way. Um, Tolkien has a real gift for language, and he does bring in like old English words a lot. Like there's um, in, in particular, he's, he uses words like, like, like Adderkop, um, which is apparently like an old French slang term for spider. Um, so that that's why Bilbo calls uh, the Mirkwood forest spiders Adderkop. It's kind of like, like an insulting word to call a spider. So, you know, rude on his part, but, um, but like the, most of the language is very straightforward. Like Bilbo says this, Bilbo goes and does, and, and does this Gandalf is riding a white horse. They're riding a Brown pony. It's not like this, it's not like the flowing lyrical, um, language that you would get in like some of his later stuff. But at the same time, like it is very, very poetic in the way that it, that like, it, within that kind of limited range of um, 
language. And so like, I, I do think it's like, it's a little bit challenging maybe to read for yourself as a very young kid. Um, just because like the sentences are kind of long, the paragraphs are like pretty big, but as like read aloud, um, literature, I, I find it absolutely delightful to read aloud, um, to my older daughter. Well, I, I, that makes me excited because I, I do plan on doing that. Um, as soon as I, uh, you know, as soon as I could get her interested enough to, to do that. Uh, but like, I, I, I did experience that myself, like I said, um, you know, when I first picked it up, um, and I was, you know, probably it was just a little bit beyond my, my, uh, my Ken at that time. And, um, so I, I, I think, um, but you, you're right going back it, it, reading it, uh, as an older, you know, younger adult, um, it was just, it just really struck me how, how much he was able to ev- evoke with relatively simple prose style, uh, compared to some of it, like you said, some of his later stuff or, or either, or other works. Yeah. I, I, I actually want to read like one particular um, passage from pretty, pretty early in the book. And it's, it's when um, it's when like Bilbo is having dinner with the dwarves and Gandalf and the dwarves are kind of filling him in on like, it's basically telling him, here's the backstory of the book. We're telling you the, about the adventure that we want you to go on and why we're here and where the dwarves came from. Um, And it was interesting. Like, as I read it to my daughter, it like hit me like I, I could see her taking an interest specifically in this and she sat up and was like paying attention so i i, I want to read it real quick um so as they sang the hobbit felt the love of beautiful things made by hands and by cunning and by magic moving through him a fierce and a jealous love the desire of the hearts of dwarves then something tookish woke up inside him and he wished to go and see the great mountains and hear the pine trees and the waterfalls and explore the caves and wear a sword instead of a walking stick. He looked out of the window. The stars were out in a dark sky above the trees. He thought of the jewels of the dwarves shining in dark caverns. Suddenly in the wood beyond the water, a flame leapt up, probably somebody lighting a wood fire. And he thought of plundering dragons settling on its quiet hill and kindling it all to flames. He shuddered. And very quickly, he was playing Mr. Baggins of Bag End, Underhill, again. And so, like, to me, that is, like, it, the, the language is very simple. It's all words that, like, a five or six-year-old would be able to understand. Um, but there's something about, like, the way it's structured that it just feels so, like, lyrical. And it it conveys, like, a sense of, to, to me anyway, it conveys this, like, this feeling of, like, longing and a desire to go on a journey. The thing about like wearing a sword instead of a walking stick is such a funny, like it, 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 it hits me in the way that like Led Zeppelin lyrics hit me. It's like, <laughs> I want, I want to go walking in the mountains as soon as I yeah. read that. Well, it's, it's funny that you said that. Cause I, I, I hadn't, it kind of just uh, popped in my head, but there's a, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you've read the book Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. I have, but, yes. I'm, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of it, yes. There's there's that one section where he talks about, you know, every man of, up until he's about <laughs> 25 thinks he could become, you know, go go out in the mountains and train and become a, a ninja or something. Like that. <laughs> yes. it, it's kind of the same feeling, right? Where you, you, you know, you, you look out your window and you, you see the world out there and you're like, you know, someday I can go out there and be this like cool guy with a sword, but... Uh, it, it, you know, and then you shudder, then you realize now you're just at home. And, uh, but like the, the, the wanting to do that is out there. I think everybody really under- can understand that even, even kids, uh, kids, you know, all, all there's, all their media is so, uh, adventure oriented. Uh, so, you know, 
all their play, I mean, at least for, for my daughter, a lot of her play is, you know, just, you know, there's the bad guys. I'm a good guy. And that's, you know, let's, let's fight or, or stuff along those lines. What, 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 what I love about the character of Bilbo as a children's literature hero is that he never actually really becomes like a stereotypical hero. He's, he's a dork throughout the entire book, but he, he makes the point himself. Like the dwarves will kind of like give him shit for, you know, oh, you're just the burglar. You're you. What what do you know about any of this? And he's like, no, I I rescued you. Like I've been the hero. I've been the one who keeps saving you. And they're just like, ah, whatever, w- whatever, buddy. But like at the end, yeah. he doesn't become the stereotypical hero. He remains Bilbo, even mm-hmm. though like it specifically says like you you were changed forever by this, and he acknowledges it himself. So it's such an interesting like like it kind of flips the the stereotypical young adult hero on its head now. I mean, plus the fact that he's like, I think he's like 40, like in his thirties or forties or fifties when the Hobbit happens. Like, but I mean, in, in human terms, he seems like he's like, you know, mid to late twenties, maybe early thirties. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's part of, uh, you know, the growth of the story is the, the dwarves want this, want him on this big adventure to take back their mountain uh, and he, you know, he, he was at first reluctant and then eventually he kind of like, as things go along, he, he seems more and more into it. But then ultimately, you know, when, when it, the, the war happened or the battle of the five army, five army armies, excuse me, he finally realizes that, you know, war, like what's, you know, yeah, it's not, it sucks. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not good. I, 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 I don't want to be part of this. Just let me go home back to Hobbiton. Uh, yeah. so, um, I want to kind of transition over to um, the 1977 uh, animated film uh, by Rankin Bass. Um, so kind of to, I, I'm not sure how many people will have, have seen this. It's one of those things that I feel like has kind of danced around the edges of um, pop culture awareness. And I, I think, I think most people um, will probably be familiar with Rankin Bass from a few, a few things. Uh, they're responsible for, so they, they were an, an animation um, production company in the U S they operated from like the like early sixties through to the late eighties. Um, the, probably the thing that most people have encountered them with is the stop motion uh, Rudolph and Santa Claus um, stories that like the, the ones that are kind of like stop motion miniatures. Um, they, they also had a pretty long career in animation um, both in kind of like feature length animation they did among other things. So, so they, they made uh, the Hobbit, they made return of the King. They did, they did not make the Lord of the Rings um, cartoon. That was actually Ralph Bakshi. And there, there's an interesting, um, there, there, there was like a rights issue where Bakshi owned the rights to the first two Lord of the Rings books, but not return of the King. And so there's the Lord of the Rings cartoon, I think from like 78, 79, maybe, maybe 80, um, that covers like Fellowship and Two Towers, but doesn't get into Return of the King. And so um, Rankin Bass also made a Return of the King that couldn't reference anything from the first two books. And so it's a very, it's a very strange adaptation. Like they really try to make it work, but it's very weird where it's just like, hey, Remember Bilbo? Uh, I'm his nephew, and I'm kind of just like wandering out here in like a weird swamp. But anyway, <laughs> moving right along. Um, so, but they, they also did uh, the, the Last Unicorn, which a lot of people will be familiar with. They also did something that I'm I have a lot of fondness for, but I think a lot of people haven't seen uh, called Flight of Dragons, um, which feels very uh, very Hobbit like. And I, I would say if if anyone um, 
has seen or goes on and watches this particular adaptation of The Hobbit uh, and, and wants more of a similar feel, um, check out Fl- Flight of Dragons. It's very similar. It's a little bit older. Um, it's probably pitched to like 12 or 13 year olds. Um, but it has a lot of that same like whimsical uh, feel to it. So, so the the animation in this was actually done by a company called Topcraft, which um, did a lot of they, they also did uh, Thundercats and Silverhawks, the, the, the 80s cartoons. Um, but they were actually also did the production for Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind. Um, and basically they dissolved and Hayao Miyazaki basically bought out half of the studio uh, and they basically became Studio Ghibli. So in a lot of ways, this is almost like a proto Studio Ghibli f- film. And when I learned that it connected um, a lot of the dots, uh, but so I, I grew up with this cartoon, but I know that you, you hadn't seen it before. So I, w- I would love to know what your impression of it was um, coming into it. Yeah. I watched it for the first time this week and uh, I will say it just, it utterly charmed me. Uh, I, I, I don't have an issue with, you know, older stuff, like older styles or older music or anything like that. So it just, I, I just went in uh, with an open mind and it was, it was really, really great. I, I really enjoyed uh, pretty much everything about it. I, I was worried that it was going to drag a little bit, to be honest with you, uh, as a lot of older stuff tends to do, but uh, it, it just kind of zips along uh, and, you know, it does a really good job of condensing the story down to, you know, about, you know, less than an hour, 10 or hour 15. I forget how long it is, but it's, it, it was really, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. It, it trims. I, I, I agree with you about the sense of it, like, z- like zipping along. Um, and I, I'm really curious to, to talk in a minute about like how, how your, your kid um, took it because my, I think the, the fact that it moves so briskly um, my, my daughter like latched onto it because like scenes don't last for very long in it. it it's it's a very abridged edition. So for, it, mm-hmm. it cuts out a ton of stuff, um, but it keeps kind of all the things that people remember. So like it has the, you know, the dinner at the beginning um, instead of the dwarves arriving over the course of a morning, they all just show up with Gandalf and they're just like, like, like the first scene of the movie is literally like, hey, I'm Gandalf. I appear from behind a tree. Uh, what's up? Here's some dwarves. They're here too. Um, hey, you're coming on an adventure. And like, I think like five minutes into the movie, you're already like, you're already encountering the trolls. And then you're at Rivendell with Elrond. And then they're under the Misty Mountains. And just like, it just, it, you're right. It just kind of like gallops along. Um, mm-hmm. And there's so much about it that I, I think it does a really good job of capturing the the tone of the of the Hobbit where like everything feels slightly weird and like a little bit threatening. Like it is, it is a little bit scary at times in a way that I I think like a children's it it, it is clearly intended for children. In in my opinion, like it it has a lot of like child animation touches to it, but it is a little bit more threatening at times. than I think an adaptation made for kids now would be probably. No, absolutely. Uh, uh, the the trolls I, I I found to be way more threatening looking than even the you, you know the the, the newer modern uh, Peter Jackson ones. Those looked more goofish uh, goofy uh, compared to the ones on, in, in this one, the nineteen seventy seven one. They they were, they straight up just look utterly bizarre. They have this like rounded snout, and the one's missing its eye, and they're like just talking about man, I can't wait to eat some men, and yeah. It yeah. Just, <laughs> 
and, and so yeah, it, I, I found them to be a, a pretty good. And the goblins looked nice and like creepy with those. Like, oh, the goblins are bizarre. They Absolutely. have like they have like like two throats. Like it repeatedly shows the inside of their mouth, and they they have tooth like like they have two esophagi that split yeah. off. Um, and they have these giant curved hook teeth. It's a re- it's very off putting. It's a very strange inhuman depiction of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, it was suitably. I, I think it's you know, kids. I think I, I at least for my daughter, I, I, she likes to be scared a little bit. Like sometimes she plays it up a little bit. Sometimes she's genuinely scared. Uh, but like I, there there were times in this where she was genu- genuinely unsettled. Uh, and there was like. Two or three times where she was like enjoying that unsettledness. There was one time where she was genuinely like, she's like, let's turn it off. But that was, <laughs> and that and that was Gollum. Uh, Gollum. Oh uh, wow, yeah, yeah. He when he uh, freaks out uh, after realizing that the <laughs> is gone and he's has those uh, terrible screeches. Uh, uh, as uh, you know, the, the the voice acting on that was like. That genuinely creeped her out to the point where she's like, I, I, I don't want to watch this anymore. But I was able to like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. Uh, uh, so we were able to get through it and ultimately she she enjoyed it. But yeah, uh, I, I, I definitely I enjoyed the, the parts and she enjoyed the parts where it was just, you know, fun. But there was also the parts where there was the, the creepy, threatening aspects of it. Yeah, it's so um, you you mentioned the voice acting. Um, so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think that's one of the things that stands out in my mind is like the 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 voice acting cast for this is not if if you look at it now in 2020, um, there are not many famous names that you're going to recognize. Um, but at the time, it was a pretty big deal cast, especially of like like voice actors. Um, so, uh, Bilbo is voiced by Orson Bean, um, who was like a, like a pretty legit, like at the time, like TV and, and movie actor. I I can't remember, um, what, what else he, he did specifically. Um, Gandalf is, Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I know Orson Bean. He has kind of like a smallish part in, uh, being John Malkovich, uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's when he's a little bit older, um, but I, I, that part really struck. I, I remember him from that. So yeah, so he he was around even then. Yeah, and he's he his voice is very um his voice for Bilbo is kind of like very like goofy, um especially compared to like like everyone else is doing like very serious, um like 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 kind of hammy but still like very serious dramatic stuff and he definitely plays up the like the the goofiness like like Bilbo is both the hero and the comic relief of, of this in, in a way that I think is like a little bit more over top compared to to the novel but not not even by that much no it's it's not even necessarily what he's saying is he's just kind of the way like you said the way he says it he kind of it's it's almost like it just everybody else has these deep Bass voices and he has this kind of like real high like well uh, well i guess we'll i guess we'll <laughs> we'll go along here now and then so yeah it's just but it's a, it's a nice contrast to everybody else because to, to you know show how singular he is among the crew uh among his you know cat his crew of adventurers there they definitely carry on that like that sense of like hobbits being kind of like children in this more grown-up world 
Um, especially compared to, uh, but probably my my second favorite voice in this is uh, John Huston, who does Gandalf, who was like a very legit um, film actor. He was in uh, The Maltese Falcon, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, uh, the the African Queen. Um, he he had this like he has this like deep booming voice, but he also does some really funny line reads. Um, like a, a lot of the lines in this movie are verbatim from the book and they they don't try to make them less awkward to read so for instance when he says the, the one that always stands out in my mind is when he says i am gandalf and gandalf means me and he says it in this like very strange like over the top like hammy almost like shakespearean way um, right and it comes across as very funny uh but it is like also like very booming and dramatic and kind of comes across like almost like Gandalf is a little bit unhinged. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I mean, it's funny you say that because uh, he, he's known for kind of playing those kind of unhinged, slightly unhinged kind of guys. Like I, I, I'm most familiar with him in uh, uh, Chinatown where he plays, you know, oh, the, yeah. the, uh, uh, the, the evil uh, businessman, you know, um, uh, you know, opposite Jack Nicholson, and he just has, you know, it's he's somewhat avuncular, but then he has that really like deep well of, you know, this guy is going to do some like bad stuff. He's uh, threatening, yeah, very, very threatening, and he he brings that to Gandalf, which is which you know, and then I think that does a good job of comparing or contrasting it to uh, a portrayal like Ian McKellen, who kind of just comes off as like generally lovable. Like, he has moments where he gets like dark and like you know you know you know he, he gets you know mad at frodo and he scares frodo like a little kid and stuff like that but uh <laughs> i i think it's you know somebody with that kind of power would be genuinely threatening like all the time or, or at least just like the knowledge of the power that they have so having somebody like jack or john houston playing uh, gandalf in that way kind of totally made sense to me uh when you're speaking of line readings it, this is i the one that jumped out at me is the way he kept mentioning the treasure the treasure <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if you, if you noticed that uh no, but say like, yeah bilbo you're gonna have to go after the treasure uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah he, he was fantastic uh they had the, the animation on him in particular uh when he first is first introduced uh there's some lightning behind him he you know they do a real close-up on his face yeah, uh, he he, off. and it like was like yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty great. I I think they did a really great job with Gandalf. I was really really impressed with him. I really love um the 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 first five minutes of the movie are like have some really outstanding but still kind of minimalist animation. Like the they they put a ton of work into kind of like giving it a watercolor. Like the you you only see a little bit of the Shire in this, but it has a very watercolor like illustration. Um. I, I used to work with a, with um, a graphic artist who would call stuff like this painterly. Like it has a very physical texture to the way that the Shire looks and the way that Gandalf just kind of like slides out from behind a tree, almost like he teleported there into yeah. the middle of, of Bilbo's smoke rings. And it's just like, shit just got real. I'm Gandalf. I'm here. We're starting this right now. Um, yeah. And yeah, he, he immediately is like yelling at Bilbo and like acting weird um, and threatening. And it's just like, I'm in your house now. Uh, here are my dwarf friends. We're here also. Um, yeah, it's it's a little bit scary in a way that like 
I think I think Gandalf should be a little bit weird and scary because he is kind of like operating on a different level from everyone else in the story. Um, where it's it it only occurred to me uh, this this current read through that they don't even count Gandalf as part of like Thorin and company, and they actually mention mm-hmm. it in the text where Bilbo's like, it's not clear to me if Gandalf is part of this adventure or if like if he's just like watching us or like is is he on our side or is he just like i just set this up now i'm gonna peace out somewhere yeah he he kind of i mean it's, it's even uh in in the the animated the rank and bass version too where he kind of just you know pieces out for a bit and and uh uh the, there's like multiple times where bilbo was like hey where how did bilbo or how did i'm sorry how did gandalf get back here like where, where was he <laughs> Where was he at? Or, or, you know, he comes back in the nick of time to save him from the trolls and things like that. Um, yeah, so he's kind of just, I feel like just kind of just put put things in motion and, and let, let things happen. But, um, yeah, he, well, I, to, to your point about him being threatening, uh, th- I uh, watched it again with my daughter. Uh, and the first time he appears, she said, is he a bad guy? Because <laughs> he just comes on and, the, the, you know, his first appearance, he's just like you said, he's just. He's just so he's just yelling at Bilbo like enough like I'm I'm sick of you let's just let's just get started here and she her first question was wondering whether he was bad at, bad guy or good guy so he he almost makes me feel like um like if if this is a children's story Gandalf to I I feel like represents the adult like he's not if if you're a kid adults are a little bit off putting like mm-hmm. you you know who your parents are. And they are kind of like anchor points of of your life to some extent or whoever, you know, your your caretakers are. Um, But other adults are always a little bit weird and they have their own mysterious business that 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 they're going about. They disappear and reappear and they don't really want to explain themselves to you all the time. Sometimes it is like, here's this thing. Here's this very important thing. It is now the most important thing in your life. Don't don't lose this. I'm giving you. Listen to me. Listen very closely to what I'm saying. Okay, now now I'm leaving. I'll be back later. Bye. Yeah. Um, and it makes me feel like like that. It almost makes me feel like that was like a very intentional decision to make Gandalf like the parent figure, basically coming in and um like clearly his stakes are higher than everyone else in, in the story, especially if you've read Lord of the Rings. But just just the, the fact that like like your daughter was not really sure of like is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he is he part of the story? Um, my daughter didn't really, Gandalf was not one of the people who stood out to her. She's very interested in what's up with, with Bilbo. Um, Mm. I I think she, she thought, um, that he was a child originally, uh, because there was something I, I was reading it to her and she sat up the other night and was like, is, is Bilbo grown up? And I said, yeah, he's, he's like a grown up. He's a, he's a hobbit grown up. So like he's smaller than a person he's more like your size and she goes okay so he's he's not a child i said no no he's 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 not a child but yeah like there's a sense of like the other characters are kind of like children and even even when you think about like the the quest that the dwarves are on it seems kind of childish when you think about it like they want to retake an entire mountain from a dragon and there's 13 of them <laughs> right yeah and, and they're going to rely on somebody who's clearly a, a quote-unquote burglar who clearly has no clue what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, like the, I don't know if this is the place to talk about it, but it always fascinates me the the use of the dwarves using a contract with Bilbo. Yeah. Uh, I, that I'm not sure where. Just 
the I, I think it's it's a the way that they contrast the dwarves of being you know this is all just a business relationship uh you know we're we're, we're doing this for ourselves and like it's a way of keeping uh, at least at first bilbo at a remove it's not until after the kind of the battle that where thorin really finally says yeah okay you were kind of right and you were really helping us out and stuff like that but uh i that 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 part because um my daughter was like you know she saw the piece of paper and she's like i i, I don't she she didn't really know understand any of that stuff and uh and i remember in the in the peter jackson version they they have it being this like you know real, real long scrolling page thing uh but um i i, I think it's just an interesting uh because it's, it's kind of just so out of place in that setting i feel like where everything else is so there's you know no formalities there's no you know is uh, there's like gold and things like that there doesn't seem to be any sort of you know exchange as far as you can tell or it's yeah. it's just it, it that that really struck me on this go around just because they they made it you know they decided to make that a part of this the the rank and bass version which seemed like it could have been easily kept out but it's it's funny because there's um it's it's treated a little bit differently in in the text in the text it's actually bilbo who insists on there being formal terms um yeah. and it's it's almost like uh it, bilbo in the text is trying not to let on like he he's kind of decided that he kind of wants to do this he thinks and he's he's kind of like letting the fact that they're calling him a burglar like go to his head a little bit and he doesn't want to let on that he's like terrified so he's he 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 specifically is trying to think of like what an experienced person would say and he sets upon in the text he's like oh um i should ask about like contract terms uh like like what what's what how much am I getting paid for this? What are the conditions? Um, and then the dwarves like come up with the contract. Whereas yeah, in, in the cartoon, they're like, here's this magical, co- it's almost like quasi magical contract. There's, there's a couple jokes about it where they're like, uh, you know, funeral expenses paid for if necessary. And then later um, when they make him climb the tree in Mirkwood, uh, they they say that like he he couldn't he couldn't refuse because his contract was vague on several points, which is like a right. very grown up thing. Like that's that's the thing that a, a kid would get. But I think the idea of the contract probably comes from the fact that like Tolkien in the Hobbit at least was very inspired by fairy tales, um, and contracts have this very magical quality of them in fairy tales that kind of comes out of like um, like Welsh and Irish and English. Um, folklore and mythology where like contracts are one of the things that kind of they're both of this world and without it like you you can enter into a contract with say Rumpelstiltskin or mm-hmm. with a fairy or, or with a fae and like it is binding not just in a practical sense but in like a like a, a supernatural sense and I, I feel like especially the early parts of the Hobbit feel, have like a very fairy tale quality to them and you, you totally get that in the cartoon as only well. did a very good job of capturing that um, and I feel like that's that's part of it where it's like here's here's a little aspect of our world that translated into this world now has like a slight like magic quality to it. And I think for a kid that's kind of wonderful because it gives it gives the real world almost a slightly magical quality to it too. Right. Um so the I, I wanted to kind of wrap up the discussion of the voice actors by by mentioning um uh brother Theodore. Uh, or just Theodore, as he is credited, um, who is a uh, people probably most know him from being in the movie The Burbs, where he plays like the head of the household. Um, but he was on Letterman a bunch. He has this very weird yell talking affect. Um, he was like a uh, 
I, I don't know if you'd call him like like a raconteur. Like he was he, he was he was like he was he did like one man shows and like he would tell stories in this very weird like German accent or I, I think it was Austrian actually. Um, and so like he brings this very weird like tense angry energy to Gollum that is totally apart from how he's presented in the Peter Jackson films where he's kind of like self-effacing and yeah it, it doesn't it's not it doesn't surprise me that like your daughter latched on to Gollum as being like the most threatening thing because I think you have no idea what Gollum is going to do like he could kill Bilbo and you get the sense of like he's totally unhinged and threatening and weird and like not trustworthy at all like there is not any moment where you're like oh like this guy's fine and so the the fact that like bilbo doesn't totally twig onto that right away and it's like i'll, I'll hear this weird guy that i met in a cave out is like a very funny thing like, i think like coming back to it like as an adult no i i agree yeah and uh my daughter uh she was having a hard time with um the whole the puzzle game the riddle game because uh, she was kind of like going back and forth. I, I think she had a hard time kind of just understanding uh, Theodore uh, in general, just because just we, you know, she hasn't had much experience really with people with that could those, uh, you know, accents of, of that nature and things like that. And then just the the, the fact that like, you know, the fact that they're, they're having a riddle game. Like she's used to riddles. Like we've done some riddles and she's made up some of her own. But like it's not. Uh, the, the, she was kind of just like because every once in a while Bilbo would you know pull out Sting and. Uh, she'd be like, well, wait, are they going to fight? Or like, so once we'll know, they're, they're, they're having a game. They're, they're, Bilbo wants to get out and uh, Gollum knows the way and he needs to, you know, answer the riddles. Um, but then, but then Gollum would just go off and just yell and scream. And, and so it, I, it was very confusing and frightening. And he, he looked like uh, much more um, total, like, like feel he had like almost like webbing under his arms. Yeah. Things, yeah like, he has, like, he has like webbed fingers He's got these big, weird, bulbous eyes and like a weird, yeah. flat nose. Like I, I, it, he, he has like a salamander look to him, kind of. Yeah, and, and um, I, I really like the uh, discussion of the ring as a birthday present. That was interesting because uh, it, it, it just, you know, my, my daughter's really uh, obsessed with birthdays as well, and like everything's like you know we're singing happy birthday to, to everybody, and you know in pretend play and things like that. Uh, and so uh, the fact that Gollum was also obsessed with, well, I got this as a present for my birthday, like uh, you know, as not that he not literally, but like that's what he thinks or whatever. Uh, and and uh, so it was just it brings it, it makes Gollum both like childish, but also like he was just he, he was just straight up scary, like the, when he just. When he goes into his little hut there and, and flips out, that was. <laughs> I love how like he's he's his 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 like physical affectations in this movie are so funny. Where he's he's kind of like reclining in his weird little like bone boat with his hand yeah. over his face, like like oh woe is me. Um, he's he's almost like like he acts like too tired. Like he's he's so over being under the mountain that he like can't even deal with the fact that like somebody came here. Um, and then it almost, and I love when he's digging through his weird little hut and he's just like throwing skulls out of it and like weird little like finger bones. Um, yeah, it's a very, it's a very threatening and off-putting. Um, it has an almost like, like HR Giger um, design to some of the stuff. Like, uh, like it's very like organic and like bone and skin and, and flesh that feels very apart from. I think anything you would get in like the, the Peter Jackson um, film, but like I, I, for, for me, that's one of the things that 
I, I feel like really stands out um, as being a, a part design wise from the Peter Jackson stuff. It, it's so there's an interesting um, there's an interesting side bit where um, they tried to take a lot of stuff from the text directly when they were making this. And this led to a few weird um, like accidents of design where they took things very literally. So like smog is described in the text as being cat-like and they meant cat-like as in like, he's kind of like reclining and lounging around, but they literally make his face look like a cat. And I, I think that, that um, Gollum is described as being like, like an amphibian. So they're like, Oh, okay, we'll make him look like an amphibian. Um, mm -hmm. The funniest one of these is uh, Elrond is described as having a star upon his brow, which is a very poetic Tolkien way of saying like he has like a, like an otherworldly quality to him but they literally give him like a ring of like a, a a crown of stars that floats around around his head um which it like it, it it looks really cool it makes perfect sense but it is like kind of like a weird mid like overly literal take and i i feel like some of Gollum's affectations are, are kind of like that too but it is gives it like a very weird like dark fantasy almost like a like a dark souls quality to that to that sequence there yeah, um, Elrond's. I'm sorry, uh, Elrond's uh, crown of of stars is was really cool. Like I I didn't know that the first time I watched it that it was you know just a mistake of translation or or, or whatever, of text to, to screen. Uh, and I thought it makes perfect sense because you know elves are supposed to be this otherworldly you know uh, beings that aren't quite of you know of everybody else uh, on the same plane really. And uh, it, it just made sense. It, it was a cool effect too, because they, they were shining brightly, almost as if they had like light coming through the animated cells or something like that. Um, it was, it, it looked really cool. So yeah, yeah. The the descent into Rivendell um, is done really well. Like it really feels. It really it really makes it feel like a new chapter of the story has kicked off um and I, I think i think part of that is the the music like it it really bears mentioning like the they put a lot of attention to translating um tolkien's like poetry that's in that's in the hobbit into songs and like you you mentioned early on that like some so, some of the music definitely from like a genre standpoint feels like a little bit dated but i i feel like it works for me really well it's i mean that's kind of like a funny thing to say considering like like i grew up with this so like i this this pre-existed in my mind before any other adaptation of it um but it does kind of feel like folk rock is the appropriate way to to go with some of these and when like the elves are singing um is like a very cool like oh like it's a nice warm folk rocky fantasy hippie kind of sequence as they go down into Rivendell and now they're talking to Elrond who's kind of got this cool house and he's kind of like a weird like hippie mm. mystic kind of guy um mm. I, I love uh my 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 two favorite translations of poetry into music in this are definitely um the the dwarves singing their tale um of like the the dwarven backstory is done really in a really cool way the the uh, the misty mountains cold sequence and i i really prefer the version in this to the version in um in the the peter jackson adaptation and the the other one that really needs to be mentioned is uh down down to goblin town which is turned into this like disco rock 
like jam like it 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 kicks ass like yeah. it's a good it's yeah. a good song um and my 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 daughter actually like fixated on it and occasionally <laughs> still sings like down down to goblin town and like as deep of a voice as, as a four-year-old can can muster <laughs> um she she loves that sequence and occasionally asks to watch just that particular part uh, yeah that's great it, that's that song is really good uh and most of the songs i do enjoy the the main title song um i, I forget what the greatest adventure that's the one i felt was most dated uh it's it, i wasn't familiar with the artist um but it was kind of almost like a john denverish kind of yes. feeling that that's the one i felt like it definitely placed it squarely in the 70s uh yeah that so it's um the artist is a uh... Glenn, Glenn Yarbrough. And, um, he is very much a, he's very much a John Denver, um, type artist. Um, but, and I think that's, that's the only song I believe, uh, that isn't actually taken from like Tolkien's writing. All the other ones are, are either poems or snippets of, of dialogue, um, that are then translated into a song. And that one was, was kind of like written from, from scratch. Um, and Return of the King has has more of this, uh, and even even more so. Uh, there's a there's a very fun they, they they recount the like the the tale of Frodo with this song, uh, uh, Frodo of the Nine Fingers and the Ring of Doom, and the lyrics are literally like, "Why does he have nine fingers? And wh- where is the Ring of Doom?" <laughs> it's like a very like straightforward like literal like we're we're gonna tell the story. Uh, and, um, the, 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 the balladeer is the name of the character and he actually appears on screen, um, in the return of the King cartoon. And it's very strange and, and very dated. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I do still like it. Like it's, it's, it, it is, it is kind of like charming and like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like John yeah. Denver is kind of like, like a whimsical type person. So it, it, it makes sense that someone similar is also kind of whimsical and, and fantastical, I guess. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't say that to say it's necessarily bad. It's just it's just the one that I noticed that was most uh, of its time. Yeah, totally. Um, the uh, I, I think that there's there's a few specific sequences that made a huge impression on me as, as a child, um, and I can see them having the same effect on my old, older daughter. Um, and one of them, I, I think you and I discussed beforehand, which is the part where Bilbo. Um, climbs up the tree in Merkwood and looks out over like all the butterflies. Um, and it's mm. got this very, like, again, it gives me like Led Zeppelin vibes of like, man, I want to go on an adventure so bad and go walking in like mysterious woods. And Bilbo is talking about how, like, do I like, can I ever go back home? Like I'm, I'm a different person now. Do I even want to go back home? And it made such an impression on me as a kid. And it's really neat to see it making a similar impression on my four-year-old daughter and i'm really curious like what she's gonna think about this you know like 20 years from now yeah i i uh my daughter was similarly intrigued by that scene too because uh you know she's you know she's three so she likes butterflies so she was particularly like the the butterflies that he saw uh, as he looked over the canopy um i was struck by uh you you know it, it really resonated with me because um you know when when i was it brought me back to reading the Hobbit uh, around, you know, in 2000 or so when it, around 14. And that was when I would have went on like my first big trip away from my parents. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I was, I was a boy scout and I went to um, the one summer I went to um, Philmont scout ranch out in New Mexico. Uh, it was, 
I, I went with this troop. I was supposed to go with some people from my local troop. They didn't end up going. I went with this completely different troop from a different town over. I didn't know anybody. I was like, so it was like me and a bunch of kids who were like friends. And I was just completely by myself. And it was like a two week trip. And I was, you know, thousand miles away from my parents for the first time. And, uh, but like, you know, you, you get the sense of hiking out in nature and you, you reach the top of, uh, there's literally a very Tolkien-esque named mountain Baldy out there. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but like you, you get to the top of that and you feel like, you know, this is, you know, I, I, you feel like you've reached something, you feel like something's changed and you're like, well, what, you know, what, what, what am I going to go back to? What's, you know, why go back? Or it's, it's a similar kind of feelings. Of, uh, and uh, I definitely felt that reading it the first time because it, it, it resonated with that experience. And again, watching this version, which I felt was done extremely well because they did a good job of contrasting the darkness of Mirkwood with the, the beauty, the beauty and, and lightness above Mirkwood uh, when he burst through the canopy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. There's um, it's, it's so like, it... I, I don't I, I it's one of those things that's like very hard to 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 it's one of those it's it's the sort of moment that I think for me at least like my brain occasionally dredges up um as an adult that makes me feel like a child um there's like that intrinsic sense of like wonder and and otherness and a sense that like you could almost step directly from your world into another world in an instant. And it's the kind of thing that I occasionally get when I'll be like hiking or like doing something with my kids. And I, I suddenly, I feel like I'm, I've left my world and gone, gone into theirs. And it's really neat that like they explicitly made it about that both like in the text and in the effect that it kind of has on the audience of like you as the viewer are right there with Bilbo of like, wow, like this story has come really far um, and again, for me, it's, it's hard to say how much of this is like m- this, this fiction, like implanting itself in my brain and fundamentally like becoming part of how I perceive the world versus like it just being a good de- depiction of that, um, like mm-hmm. a- as, as something that a, a child or an adult would experience. Um, I, 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 I do think it, it bears mentioning that, you know, like we, we talked a little bit about like, this is a little bit more scary than like kids stuff tends to be now and it is uh, it's fair to say it's a little bit more violent too um you know like there there's a few there's a few moments it, it, it mostly uh, like elides the the violence like um uh gandalf uh kills the goblin king but it doesn't specifically say that he kills him it just kind of like goes into this weird like kaleidoscope twirly thing and his you see his kind of like spirit like spiral around and then disappear and this time or, or earlier today um our our older daughter asked like what what happened to him and i was like oh well he uh went away he went somewhere else um and we've that- we've had like the death discussion but i was like i don't want to get into this <laughs> this discussion right now again that's word for word exactly how I described it as well. Oh yeah, he's he's gone away. He, he, you know, uh, Gandalf came. He saved the day, and and now the Goblin King is gone. Uh, but without literal description of of where he went, uh, the only the only place that um, so like you said, the, the violence there, there is violence, and there's you know even like a straight up war at the end. Uh, but the 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 only place that I felt like it was maybe a little too much for. Uh, my daughter was um, when at the very, very end, when Thorin is, you know, recuperating in it, well, not recuperating, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it, 
in the tent. Um, he's bandaged up and he's like kind of like blood seeping through the bandages. Uh, and of course, and my my daughter, you know, she she twigged on that and she was like, "Oh, is that blood?" And and then uh, recounting the movie to my wife after the fact was like, and the dwarf was there and he was bleeding and my wife looked at me and was like there was bleeding and (laughs) that that was the part where i was like okay well maybe that was maybe a little bit too much but it it really wasn't too bad the rest of it i felt was pretty okay um but like there there is fighting and and there is some you know there's some aggression like uh she didn't quite get why they were having the battle like that that kind of thing but um the, the blood the blood she definitely saw the blood <laughs> yeah it's 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 funny uh, uh, apparently the dwarf that is comforting F- thorin in that scene or it's kind of like standing there with him doesn't appear anywhere else and and isn't part of the part of the company and uh, it's just one of those like like film flub things where it's like oh there's just this other dwarf that maybe was like an earlier design or mm. maybe was just like a background character where they're like just draw a dwarf i don't know look at these pictures um i just thought it was funny that there's like like a mystery dwarf who just kind of like appears like out of nowhere maybe they didn't need bilbo after all they actually had a 14th dwarf who they they just like (laughs) forgot about um the the moment of violence that my daughter kind of twigged on um this time was uh um barred the the bowman killing smog with the the black arrow which i have to say is like one of the most badass sequences in the movie um it's almost like from heavy metal it almost looks like it's from like it's just like the it's so dark and like you know it has the human forms rather than like the the dwarfs and the and the and the hobbits and stuff like that but it just it just looks so cool yeah, and like the the arrow itself is like this huge arrow, and he's like arrow of old. If ever you were forged in in the fires of 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 the mountain, go now. I have always retrieved you, but go now and strike it. And um, I, I like the it's got this very cool like anime type uh shot where it's like looking down the shaft of the arrow, and he's got he's got like the anime speed lines behind him. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, it's very like it is very like like a heavy metal moment. Um, and then they show the arrow go into Smog's uh, uh, chest, or like in like the the hole in his armor. Um, and and our daughter asked, like, "Wait, what? What just happened?" Um, and we're like, "Oh, well, they shot Smog with an arrow." And she goes, "Yeah, take that, you sneaky old dragon." <laughs> like, oh, okay, well, I guess I guess we've kind of like jumped right over the violence part into like dragons are bad, bad stuff can happen to uh, to to dragons. Um, I have to say, I, I love how Smog is depicted in this. He's got this kind of like laconic, like um, I, he's so arrogant in in this, where he's just like, um, I love what he says when where he goes, um, "Well, you know me, but I don't remember smelling you before." <laughs> his his look is really great. Like you mentioned, you know, he he kind of has like a, f- a furry face and things like that. Um, but he he's like he's big. He's he's just so big compared to Bobo and the, his color is like this like deep red. Um, he just, he just looks really good. Yeah. And he, he seems like so lazy, like, like he mostly doesn't move. He just kind of like reclines on his pile of gold and he eventually yeah. does roll over, but he rolls over like a cat rolling over. Like, do you want, do you want to rub my tummy? Um, <laughs> and I, I love, I love how like he's so friendly, even while he's being threatening, like it is a very nice, like, Back, like they they captured that sequence really mm. well 
Um, and I mean, you really only get the one scene with smog and they, they establish his character so well as being like really smug and self-assured. And like, I can't believe that one of these miserable lake men has come in here and is like giving me a hard time. Um, I'm totally going to smoke this guy, but, uh, I, I will kind of mess around and like humor him before I ultimately incinerate him. Um, and I, I do love how it very much in the way of like Gollum, he does have a moment where he gets really worked up and starts like listing off all the, like all the weapons he has on his body. It's like my, my claws, spears, my teeth, daggers. It just starts like yelling. And it's a very, um, that, that scared the, the hell out of my daughter, uh, this time watching it where she kind of did like the, again, I I think that kids like play up how scared they are, but she definitely was like actually scared when that was going on. I I like, he was so arrogant that Bilbo says out loud, Hey, by the way, you have an armor. You're like, there's a chink in your armor. It's under your belly. And, uh, Smog's like, wait, what what did you say? Bilbo's like, Oh, don't, never mind. I'm I'm not here. (laughs) But like, and Smog kind of just like, rolls with it but he's just so arrogant he doesn't really process exactly what bilbo just said but um yeah it, it he I, I like the part where he's it, where he's listing off his weapons and he mentions like my my you know his my tail is whipped like a like a whip or something like that like that that was he's he's just that that whole scene was just really great yeah and it's there's there's so many scenes in this where you get like you get one scene with a person um and it says everything that needed to be said about them in like 20 lines of of you know dialogue like it's just so like there's so many little bits about this that to me are like super iconic um it's worth mentioning uh we when we were there, there's two other really awesome voice actors uh in this one is uh Hans Conried who um is Thorin uh and um he was also captain hook in the disney uh peter pan he was also in the phantom tollbooth movie um and he he took over uh as the voice of the grinch um he's not the grinch in um he he, uh boris karloff was the original voice of the grinch and then when boris karloff passed away uh hans conry took over as the Grinch in subsequent work. Um, the other person is Thurl Ravenscroft, who I, we've mentioned before on the podcast. Um, and he's probably best known as Tony the Tiger and the You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch voice. And he does a lot of the Goblin voices. And he also does some general background voices, but the, the, he's the deep, the super deep down, down to Goblin Town voice. Um, like an absolute legend of uh, voice acting. Um, and I, I, I don't remember the, the the voice of Smog, but it's such a good, like, I'm super arrogant. Uh, I have no time for you. Do whatever you want. I- I'm going to kill you anyway, but just, you know, just stop annoying me, please. It- it's nice and gravelly. Like somebody's like, you know, like, I- I- I'm not sure who, who the voice is, but it's, you know, it sounds like he's, you know, smoked a couple packs in his time. So it's <laughs> like, you, you know, it-, it makes sense for a fire breathing dragon. Uh, it- yeah. It's, it's the cast is just really good. Uh, so, so smog's voice actor is Richard Boone. Um, who was in a ton of films. He was another like really legit, uh, like, you know, 50s and 60s uh, actor. He was in a ton of um, Westerns. Uh, He's most famous for the TV show Have Gun, Will Travel. And so he very much is kind of like a, you know, gravelly cowboy uh, voice. He He was actually in the original Ocean's Eleven, 
Um, and uh, he was in uh, f- funny, funny fact. Um, his, his last role uh, was in a uh, Sonny Chiba film, uh, the Bushido blade um, where, where he played uh, Commodore Perry uh, alongside James Earl Jones, at, uh, Toshiro Mifune and, and uh, Sonny Chiba. And that weirdly enough, was distributed by Rankin Bass. Um, so they, wow. they did one they did one samurai epic <laughs> along with all of their cartoons. <laughs> it's kind of strange. Um, yeah. but yeah, like like it's so cool how they got like like uh like film legends of an earlier era who are still kind of kicking around like they were mostly retired. Oh uh the the Elven King is uh Otto Preminger, another like legendary oh. film actor. <laughs> Yes, of course. I, yeah, I, I mean, he, he's actor and director too. Like, yeah, he and his voice is so unique. Um, he, he does a good job of setting them apart from basically every other character. Uh, and he's just so, uh, you know, you know, uh, himself when he comes on when when the Wood King when Wood Elf King comes on the screen. That's just no nobody else could have done that but Otto Preminger. <laughs> he's kind of like a weird it's it's kind of like a weird depiction of of that character. Again, it's one of those things I think they kind of took something from the text and ran with it cuz he has like a very thick German accent <laughs> and it's kind of like yeah. a weird little like hunched over guy who doesn't look at all like the elves that you see in in Rivendell. Um but again like I I, I don't think it makes it doesn't really make a big difference because this is such its own its own thing. Like the fact like the fact that it looks weird is gonna bother an adult who's like, well, that's not how um I forget the name of uh Thranduil. Um that's not how Thranduil looks. He he looks like he he's super hot, like like Lee Pace in, 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 the, in the Peter Jackson Hobbit. Um and like a, a kid's not gonna care about it. It's just gonna be like, oh, it's a weird other creature that kind of look more like like fairies or like like pixies. Um, so mm. it's, it's just a nice, it's just a nice thing. Um, I, I always, I always like to, um, kind of close out by talking about like what, what kids can learn from this, you know, media that isn't, isn't really intended to be educational, but I think one of the log lines of, of this podcast is that like, you know, anything that you consume as a child is kind of inherently educational because it's helping you form your, your worldview. Um, so do you, do, do you feel like there was any, any particular, like, positive message or, or like thing that could be learned from, from, from the Hobbit, whether it's, you know, the book or the, the, the cartoon. Uh, absolutely. I, I don't think necessarily my daughter might've picked up on this. I think she's still a little bit young to catch any sort of like subtext or anything like that, or, 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 or themes or things like that. But um, I, I think that, you know, the, the contrast between the dwarves uh, their 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 single minded focus on their gold and their hoard and and obtaining what they think is theirs versus Bilbo's. Uh, I, well, this idea struck me today that um, you know Bilbo is kind of you know he's um, sensuous where it's just like the, uh, where Gandalf tells him you know when your heart needs liberation think of good things and Bilbo immediately goes to bacon and eggs and you know smoking my pipe and being in a, in my bed and things like that. But it's a good contrast to uh, you know, and some people might think of those as like necessarily like uh, good things, but comparing that to the dwarves who are just single-mindedly focused on met, you know, the, the the money and the gold and their their jewels and things like that, uh, and then ultimately uh, the biggest message of uh, you know uh, war is just 
utterly stupid and, and pointless and, and there was no need to do it. All you needed to do was just share a little bit, share of what you had and ultimately could have resolved it. And, uh, you know, and I think it goes, I, I, I've seen some things I haven't read extensively on it, but I've seen some things that liken it to uh, Tolkien commenting on his experience in World War One. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think, I, I think that that particularly um, Bilbo's reticence to join in war, I, I think in particular, uh, even though he's been, as you said before, you know, he's being set up as like this big, you know, fantastical hero. And to him suddenly take a step back and say, well, listen, I don't want to go that far. Like that's, you know, what's the point of that? And I, I think that's an important lesson that a lot of people can look at and, and, and take, take from that. Yeah. I, I, I agree completely about like, I think if there's one thing um, that I feel like this teaches, it is, it is kind of like appreciation of a journey as the journey itself, like, you know, I think both Hobbit and Lord of the Rings have been criticized uh, in varying degrees of seriousness as being just kind of like, you know, like adventure travelogues. Like there's a lot of walking, people just walking from 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 place to place. Um, but there is something wonderful about, you know, um, the, the dwarves, yeah, are single mindedly focused on like revenge and admittedly survival. Um, you know, like they have valid reasons for that. And then Bilbo has this totally different perspective of he's kind of like, oh, well, like, this is this is cool. I'm enjoying this. This is a new experience. Oh, this part really sucks. Like, I really wish like it, he he comes both to appreciate um, his his home a lot more by the end of it. But then he also, you know, gets new experiences, understands himself better. Um, and I think that especially kids like it, kids need things that help them to get out of themselves and kind of like grow into the people that they're, they're going to become. And so again, like going back to this notion of like Bilbo as the child, like it really is about, you know, a child going out into the wider world, encountering things they don't understand. um, And then ultimately maybe coming to understand them better than the people that you are told are the ones who actually understand them. Cause like, yeah, like, as you say, Bilbo looks at the, you know, He's like, yeah, this is great. We're going on an adventure. Yes, it's important. We're recovering your your ancestral home. Very important. Um, it you know they they remove the subplot of the the Arkenstone, which ultimately is the thing that like causes the you know the the big fight uh, between the men and the elves is is like Bilbo stealing that, and that's that's what they lose respect for him for in in the book. Um, and then in the cartoon, it's just like, well, you don't understand war. You, you knucklehead hobbit like what what do you know you're you're a child and it's interesting to see the dwarves who are very much as you know childlike as bilbo is in, in some respects um say that they're now the ones who understand and and bilbo ultimately has kind of the 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 better view on it i i do think there's, there's an element of um you know what one of the other criticisms i i've heard of of tolkien is that it comes from a very like like upper class point of view and and bilbo is effectively kind of just like a retired rich guy uh who just kind of like hangs around and has you know fun experiences and just he he really has no particular material driver to go on this so there there is an element of like well the dwarves have something to lose unlike you bilbo who's just like i just kind of want to go home and just sit sit in front of my fire again and just you know hang out and 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 have a good time he is kind of like an adventure tourist, I guess, in a way. Um, yeah. But like, I, I feel like kids aren't really going to pick up on that. And so mm-hmm. I, they're, they're not going to take away like, oh, it's it's a good thing to be a rich person and go on like a goofy adventure. <laughs> they're just going to be like, right. oh, it's a good thing to go on an adventure and experience new things. All right.
Um, so uh, I, I think, you know, I, I think that's kind of like exhaustively covered everything there is to say about this. Um, you know, su- suffice to say, I, I love the Hobbit, um, both as children's literature and as adult literature. Um, I, I love this cartoon. I, I, it's, it's, it's short. It's worth saying it's like, it's barely over an hour. Um, and, and so I, I feel like, you know, it, it's one of the, I feel like there's not a whole lot of children's high fantasy. And this is one of the rare examples of children's high fantasy. Um, I, I would strongly recommend that people, you know, check it out for themselves and consider, you know, decide if your kid is, is ready for it. Um, I feel like it's a wonderful little little piece of of children's entertainment that you you don't have a whole lot of stuff like this anymore. That it is kind of weird and off putting, but it is kind of an interesting way to introduce kids to fantasy tropes without needing to be like, "Here's Dungeons and Dragons." Um, it, it is kind of like lower stakes um, than that than that. I, I don't know how, what what's your your big takeaway from from this? Is it is it good? Is it bad? <laughs> It it did it's good it's definitely good. Uh, speaking sp- particularly about the the seventy seven animated version, uh, it, it's it intrigued my daughter. It kept it definitely kept her attention for the entire time. Uh, it scared her in the right places. Uh, she, you know she she was you know enthused at the right places. Uh, and now I ha- she's I've convinced her to let me read the book to her, which before she's she's very much in a picture book mode at the moment. So, uh, but I think this might be the first, like, you know, chapter book we were, we move on to. So, uh, and I thank the animated version for that. So, so, um, I, I, I want to touch on, uh, what you mentioned about, about a picture book. So I, I was having this exact same quandary. Um, I started trying to read the Hobbit to my daughter, uh, a few, a few weeks ago. Um, and it was the same thing where she kept wanting to, to, to see pictures. Every time something was described in the text, she would say, can I see I had to kind of like explain like, well, you just have to kind of imagine it in your head. Um, there is a really lovely illustrated uh, Hobbit by uh, that is illustrated by um, a woman named Jemima Catlin. Um, and it has like very like picture book illustrations. Like they're, they're very, they're very kid friendly. Um, they, they have, they're, they're very kind of like cartoonish, but almost like, like the old Winnie the Pooh illustrations where they still, they're, they're not, they're not cartoonish in an animated sense. They're cartoonish in like an old timey, like, like, you know, hand-drawn cartoon sense. And it's, it's very nice. Um, it's, it's got not quite one illustration per page. It's maybe like every, every other page ha- has an illustration and big moments have like full page spreads. Um, so I, I, you, you should, you should definitely check that out if, if you're having issues with like kids needing some pictures still, because they've done a good job in this of the stuff that kids will want to see. There's, there's a picture of and for most of the time when my daughter is like can i see now i can turn the book around and be like oh yes here's a picture here's here's the trolls here's bilbo <laughs> talking to the trolls and it's it's it, that has really been like you know box checked and now we're 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 about um we just got to rivendell um mm. and uh my my daughter has gotten very sleepy um while we are kind of mid mid quarantine um if you are listening to this in the future this was during that period in human history where we all had to stay inside for several months um and, and so she is very sleepy during quarantine and she keeps like falling asleep after like four or five pages um but it, it has it, 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 I, i'm really enjoying like you know experiencing this book with her um so so maybe the illustrated edition will help um, I mentioned at the beginning, uh, you know, if, if this, if you watch this and you like it, 
Um, I, I, I would recommend uh, The Last Unicorn, also Rankin-Bass. Uh, Flight of Dragons, also Rankin-Bass. Very similar feel. Um, here's a physical experience. Uh, in um, Watkins Glen, New York, there is Watkins Glen State Park, uh, which is a kind of, it's a gorge slash canyon that has a very Rivendell feel to it with like Tolkien looking stone bridges everywhere and little waterfalls. Um, and it's like having a little, you know, miniature Tolkien adventure that you can go on with kids. And it's got like a nice well-paved trail that, that you can walk along. I went there as a kid. It was like stepping into the Hobbit for, you know, a few hundred feet. So uh, strong recommendation there. Um, well, Chris, man, thank you so much for coming, uh, on the podcast. Um, do you, do you have anything that you want to plug or, or, or name drop? Uh, no, thanks. But thank you so much for having me on. This was fantastic. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Well, thank you so much. That's, that's very high praise. I really appreciate that, man. Um, well, thanks everyone, uh, for listening to parents just don't understand. Uh, have a good one. Cheers. Roads go ever, ever on Over rock and under tree By caves where never sun has shown By streams that never find the sea Roads go ever, ever on under cloud and under star Yet feet that wandering have gone Will turn at last to home afar Over snow by winter sown And through the merry flowers of June over grass and over stone Under the mountains in the moon Roads go ever, ever on Over rock and under tree My cave is where never sun has shone by streams that never find the sea.